if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together, surrender our lives, and say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. You're listening to the new Radical Together podcast with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to another episode of the Radical Together podcast. As always, I'd like to remind you that you can access all the episodes of this podcast through iTunes or by going online to Radical.net. Today, David is teaching from James chapter 4 in his message entitled, A Humbling Start to a New Year. If you have a Bible, and hope you do, let me invite you to find James chapter 4. James chapter 4. As we come to the beginning of a new year, we have a unique opportunity to look back at the last year, to see evidences of God's grace in our lives, our families, our churches, maybe most importantly to see His grace in difficult experiences we may have walked through. And then we have an opportunity to look forward to the next year, trusting in God's grace that will sustain us and strengthen us and we trust satisfy us in whatever experiences we're going to walk through. And that's where it's really, really humbling to begin a new year and realize that you and I have no idea what the next year holds. I certainly could have never imagined a year ago that I'd be where I am right now. So it's humbling. Even this last weekend, I found myself at the funeral of a precious wife and mom of four young children. She and her family had moved their lives to a difficult, dangerous part of the world to share the gospel. And she died very unexpectedly. And on the same day I went to this funeral, I found myself in James 4 in my daily Bible reading. And I came to verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do it and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So as I read those verses, I was reminded that I'm not guaranteed to make it through this new year. And neither are you. For for that matter, I'm not guaranteed to make it to the end of this podcast episode. And neither are you. Now, that can sound depressing, but it's not intended to be. I don't believe that's what God intends for this text to, to be. I believe God intends this text not to be depressing, but illuminating. Eye-opening. This text is intended to open our eyes, to wake us up to a reality that our lives are but a mist in this world, a vapor. Here one second and gone the next. Even today I was reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. In other words, life in this world doesn't last very long. 
And when we realize this, it changes the way we live. And it's in this light that I want to implore you in the next few moments, at the beginning of this year, to just stop and think about faith amidst the fragility of life. To stop and think, okay, what does it mean to trust in God when I'm not guaranteed tomorrow? And I want to show you two simple, significant characteristics of faith and trust in God. And then I want to challenge you to consider how you might make the most of today while you still have it. And tomorrow, if the Lord wills it. And 2015, if the Lord wills it. So let me start with just two simple, significant characteristics of faith amidst the fragility of life. So trust when you're not guaranteed tomorrow. First characteristic of faith, according to James 4, 13 through 17, faith is humbly submissive to the sovereignty of God. Faith is humbly submissive to the sovereignty of God. When you step back into James's day in the first century, you realize that business travel was fairly common and verse 13 was typical business language of the day. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So James quotes this common phrase, and then basically he labels it boasting and bragging. He says that's arrogance to talk about your business affairs like there are certainties when they're not. James is warning us here that we can become so consumed with the material realm, so consumed thinking about our plans and our strategies to work and to make money, that if we're not careful, we will become blind to spiritual realities. We can become so consumed with the material realm that we become blind to spiritual realities. Now, the problem is not planning in and of itself. The problem is planning in such a way that God has no place in the plans. James says, you're planning to do this next year in order to make money, when the reality is, you don't even know if you're going to see tomorrow. So in contemporary terms, it's like he's saying, you're acting like Wall Street in the business world, and all your plans are certain, when the reality is, you're living in arrogance, not realizing that your breath could be gone in an instant, because God is sovereign over life and death, and your life, my life, is a mist. It's smoke. Literally, your life is a vapor. It's here one second and gone the next. And you will live to see tomorrow only if the Lord wills it. This text is why Jonathan Edwards wrote in his resolutions, he said, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. David Brainerd said the same thing on a regular basis in his short life before he died at 29 years old. So think about those words. Resolve to think on, to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Now many people read that and think, why would you live like that? What a depressing way to live. But again, this is not depressing. This is enlightening. We need to remind ourselves, we need our eyes open on a daily basis to the reality that our health and our house and our car and our bank account and our job and every comfort and security we have in this world guarantees us nothing. That as long as we cling to the things of this world, we cling to them in vain. They could all be gone tomorrow. 
Because God is sovereign over it all. He's sovereign over life. He's sovereign over death. He's sovereign over our activities and our accomplishments. If, if the Lord wills, James says, we will live and do this or that. So everything we do, everything we accomplish, everything we attain is ultimately under the sovereign will of God. Now, be careful, because the intent here is not to create a passive fatalism in our mind that says, well, well, God has determined everything, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and see what he decides to do. No. Remember, this is James. This is a book that is full of commands to obey and actions to take. 108 verses in James, 60 imperative commands. So James does not have in any way in mind us sitting back and just waiting passively for God to do whatever he decides to do. James is talking about activity, action, the whole book. But he's talking about activity, action that is humbly submissive to the sovereign God of the universe, knowing that every accomplishment, every activity, literally every breath occurs only by the sovereign grace of God. And it's not that before we do anything, we've got to always say, well, if the Lord wills, though saying that wouldn't, wouldn't hurt us. But the key is a mind that, mindset that says, I need the grace of God and I'm dependent on the will of God in every facet of my life. And this is a radically different way to live in this world, particularly in the busyness and the business of our lives. This world tells us to live like we're going to be here forever. Make your plans, acquire your possessions, work and build up your portfolio, accomplish this and that. And James says in the middle of it all, submit to God. Don't live like you're going to be here forever. Live and plan and work like your life is short and you don't want to waste it on worldly things. You want to suspend your life humbly submissive to the sovereignty of God and ultimately lived for the glory of God. Oh, man or woman of God, make your life this mist that comprises who you are for the short time while you're here. Make your life count under his sovereignty for his glory. Be finished and done with self-sufficiency. Live your life in radical God dependency, humbly submissive to the sovereign will of God. Which leads right into what James says next. So after he talks about, okay, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Then he says in verse 17, so whoever then knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So follow this. On one hand, faith is humbly submissive to the sovereignty of God. And then, on the other hand, faith, James says, is wholly obedient to the will of God. So make the connection here that James is making. He's showing us that humble submission to God's sovereignty leads to wholehearted obedience to God's will. That submission to sovereignty and obedience to his will go together. And it's at this point James proceeds to give us a needed perspective of sin and obedience. So we normally think of sin in terms of sins of commission, which is basically doing what God has said not to do. So God says, don't lie. Do not lie. 
and so we we don't lie. God says, do not covet, so we do not covet. And this is how we often think of sin, as not doing bad things. God says, do not do this, so if we don't do this, then we're, we're obeying him. We obey him by not doing what he has said not to do. But James reminds us that just as serious as lying or coveting or doing anything else that God has said not to do, so that would be a sin of commission, are sins of omission which is disregarding what God has said to do. So, James is saying sin is hearing the commands of God to do something and then choosing not to do it. That's sin. In in the same way that I might tell my children, don't throw that. If they throw it, they've been disobedient. On the other hand, I, I might say to them, please clean that up. And if they don't clean that up, then they've been disobedient. Because I've, I've told them to do this, and they're choosing not to do it. And James gives us both of these kinds of sin in this book. He tells us in a uh, place like chapter 2, don't show favoritism. So it would be sin for us to show favoritism. But then he also tells us in the same chapter, do care for the needy. And so then, it's sin to not care for the needy. Which is exactly how Jesus approached lack of care for the needy, as a sin of omission. What did he say in Matthew chapter 25? He's telling the story of people being cast into hell. Why? It's not because of something they did. It's because of something they didn't do. They didn't feed the hungry. They didn't clothe the naked. They didn't care for the poor. They didn't visit those in prison. That's why they're cast out of his presence, because of their disobedience to him by not doing what he had told them to do. So then this text causes us to think on a daily basis, okay, what has God said not to do today? So we want to avoid things he's told us to avoid, but we don't stop there, as if holiness is merely defined by what we don't do in this world. No, holiness also includes what we do in this world, how we obey in this world. So we've got to think, what has God said to do today? He's, he's given me today. He's given me breath, he's given me life, he's given me sustenance, and what has he told me to do with it? That's a good question with which to approach today and with which to approach this next year. So put it all together, humbly submissive to the sovereignty of God, knowing that we're not guaranteed another moment, we live wholly obedient to the will of God, doing what he has said to do with the moments he has given given us to do it. And this is where I want to encourage you and exhort you in a practical way then to make the most of the mist you have. And if the Lord wills to give you an entire year in 2015 to make the most of that mist, which is here today and will be gone before you know it. This, this text is why every year at this time in my own life, I take time to pause and pray and ask God, how can I best obey you this year? How, how can I best do what you are calling me to do this year? And I ask myself certain questions, and I, I just want to share them with you. Uh, I've grouped them in six main categories, each one of them with kind of sub-questions underneath. But to, together they summarize my plan over the next year 
for growing as a disciple of Jesus and giving my life to making disciples of Jesus. Here's the way I look at it. I know that I'm not guaranteed another breath. That I'm dependent on God for every beat of my heart. And as long as He gives it rhythm, as long as He puts breath in my lungs, I want to grow in Him. I want to know Him more. I want to love Him more. If God gives me tomorrow, then I want to know and love Him more tomorrow than I do today. And I don't just want to know Him and love Him. I want to make Him known. And I want to make His love known. I'm convinced that's why He's left me and and you here to grow in Him and to give our lives making Him known to people around us who don't know Him. Right? This is mission. This is purpose. This is why mission is not a compartmentalized program in the church for select few people. This is the purpose for which I, for which we have breath on the planet. We want to, all of us, to grow as disciples of Jesus, to give our lives to making disciples of Jesus. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, that's sin. I know that it's right to grow in Christ. I know that it's right to make disciples of Christ. That's a clear command. So not to do it is to sin. And this is not just for me, it's for you too, it's for all of us as followers of Christ. We've been commanded, we've been exhorted in God's word to grow in Him and to make disciples of Jesus. This is a command that He's given to us, so we've got to make sure we don't avoid it. That we don't not do what He's told us to do with the days He's given us to do it. And so, I want to share with you how I think through in what I pray is humble submission to God's sovereignty, how I pray and plan to be wholeheartedly obedient to God's will. Obviously, not in a perfect way by any means, but I simply want to encourage you, wherever you live in this world, to think through how in the next year you might grow as a disciple of Jesus and you might right where you live, give your life to making disciples of Jesus, how you might be intentional with the mist that God has given you today, and if he gives you tomorrow, and if he gives you 2015, how are you going to make the most of it for growing in him and giving your life to making disciples of Christ? David will be back in just a minute, but I want to take a short break and ask you to consider giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. This special offering, taken once a year, provides nearly 60% of the International Mission Board's annual income. And when you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of your gift goes to supporting Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world. For more information, visit imb.org offering. And for more resources from David Platt, visit Radical.net. There you can watch or listen to past sermons, read the Radical blog, or stay up to date on catalytic events like Secret Church. Here's David with the rest of today's message. So maybe you ask and write down uh, answers to each of these questions like, like I do. Or maybe these questions just provoke you to consider other questions you might ask in your life. But I just want to share with you some simple, basic questions that I think it's good to ask in order to plan how, if God gives you grace for another day or another year, gives me grace for another day or another year, how we might maximize it for his glory and for others' good, and for that matter, for our good. So here's the six main questions I ask with some sub-questions under under each. And and then my hope in the coming weeks on this podcast is to flesh out uh, some of these different areas, specific steps that 
that we have been commanded to take in Scripture toward growing as a disciple of Jesus and giving our life to making disciples of Jesus. I realize some people might say, well, I don't even know how to make disciples, and that's part of what I want to dive into in the in the days to come. But first question that I ask, that I might encourage you to ask something along the lines of, is I ask myself, okay, this year, how will I fill my mind with truth? How am I going to fill my mind with with truth. I know that the life of a disciple is a life of a learner. I want to learn from Christ this year. I want to know more about him. I want to hear from him. Maybe a better put, I want to know him more. I want to know his voice better. I want his word to fill my mind. So I ask Sub-questions like how am I going to read God's Word this year? And I've got a Bible reading plan that I use that regularly has me in the Word on a daily basis. And again, I'll talk more about each of these in in coming weeks, but I would encourage you to consider a regular plan for daily Bible reading if you don't already have one. There's scores of different plans you might use. I used one uh, created years ago by a a brother named Robert Murray McShane. Uh, You can search for it online, M-C-C-H-E-Y-N-E, McShane Bible reading plan uh, that Basically, you you walk through, you can read two chapters a day or four chapters a day. If you read four chapters a day, then in the course of a year, you'll read the Old Testament once and the New Testament Psalms uh, twice. Um, Or if you read two chapters a day, then you'll do that over over two years. It's just a great uh, balance of Old Testament and New Testament. D.A. Carson has written a devotional that goes along with that Bible reading plan. It's excellent. It's called For the Love of God. Uh, There's Volume 1 and Volume 2 that go with... uh, uh, different chapters that you're reading. It's just that that that'd be one way. There's scores of other ways. But I would I would just encourage you to ask the question: How are you going to be intentional about reading God's word this year? And then I ask: How am I going to memorize God's word? I want to hide God's word in my heart so I think intentionally through. Okay, what's my plan then in the coming days, as long as the Lord gives them to me, for memorizing different verses or? passages of scripture on a regular basis. How am I going to read God's word? How to memorize God's word? How am I going to learn God's word from others? I want to intentionally expose myself to teaching from God's word on a regular basis through regular worship gatherings in a local church, then other other means like books or podcasts, or other things. I want I want to fill my mind with truth. I want to saturate my mind with the word of God. And, and remember, in, in all of this, the goal is never just to gain information, but to experience transformation. I want to hear the truth of God's word and apply it and experience it. So I would, I would encourage you to ask, how are you going to fill your mind with truth? Second question I ask is, how will I fuel my affections for God? So even as I'm, I'm talking about reading and memorizing and and even some of these different questions, I realize that if we're not careful, even even something like Bible reading or other spiritual disciplines, they can become mechanical and monotonous real quick, which is not the point. So our goal, we know, is not just to know God. Our goal is to love God. So I ask, how am I going to fuel affections for God? How am I going to stoke the fires of passion for God? So I ask kind of sub-questions like, how am I going to worship Obviously, in all of all of life, in First Corinthians ten thirty one way, how I'm gonna live and eat and drink to the glory of God. So, how can I see my work in a Colossians three way as as to King Jesus? He's the one I'm working for uh, more than anyone, anything else. 
So how will I worship my work and my daily life, my eating and my drinking, and then worshiping even as a member of a local church? I know based on Hebrews 10 that there is priority in Scripture on coming together with other brothers and sisters and worshiping together. So how am I going to prioritize weekly worship in a local church, knowing that's hugely important for my relationship with God, my affection for God? And then even at home, I want to lead my family in worship on a regular basis. Again, this is something I'll talk about more in a subsequent podcast when it comes to family worship. And I just want to make sure that I'm putting myself in places and gatherings in my home and elsewhere for worship in a way that fuels affection for God. So I ask, how am I going to worship? Then I ask, how am I going to pray? So what's going to be my time, my place? When my when I go into my room and I shut the door and I pray to my Father who's unseen. I want to be intentional about setting aside that time and setting aside that that place. Again, we'll talk about more uh, uh, about this in, in the next couple podcasts, but this one practice alone, I'm convinced, utterly revolutionizes our lives when we go in a room, close the door, and pray to our Father who's unseen. And our Father sees what is done in secret, has reward just waiting for us there. So I want to be intentional about making sure that, that I've set aside a time and a place for that to happen. So ask, how will I pray? Ask, how will I fast? Um, and have a regular, I want to think through regularly how I'm going to set aside a meal uh, here or there. Set aside food to, to say, more than I want food, I just want to feast on you, God, and in prayer and in your word. I think uh, fasting is something that is expected of followers of Christ according to Scripture. And so I want to, want to be intentional about fasting. Again, something we'll talk about more in the next, next few weeks. So how will I fast and then how will I give? How am I going to give in a way that fuels affection for God? And some people might ask, well, what does giving have to do with affection for God? And according to Jesus, giving has everything to do with affection for God. Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I know that where I put my money, my heart's going to follow. And so I want to think through in my life and my family, where are we going to put our money? How how are we going to give generously and cheerfully and sacrificially in a second corinthians 8 and 9 kind of way in a way that fuels affection for god and and spreads the glory of god with the resources he's given me so these are just practical questions i would encourage you to ask when it comes to fueling affection for god stoking the fire of passion for god in your heart so that's second kind of broad category one how i fill my mind with truth second how will i fuel affection for god And then third, beginning to turn outward here, to ask, how will I share God's love as a witness in the world? So we've already talked about this, numerous points in this podcast, that mission, not compartmentalized program in the church, for select few, the purpose for which I'm on the planet, that the Spirit of God is in me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I might be a witness to the gospel. And there's people around me. There's people around you, there's people around us right now who are apart from God and on a road that leads to an eternal hell. And he's put us in their lives for a purpose, to share his love as a witness in the world. And so I want to be intentional about asking the question, okay, who are those people that God's put in my life, in my sphere of influence, who don't know Christ? And it's where I write down their names. I've got names of people that I'm writing down that I know don't know Christ, that God's put in my sphere of influence, that I'm praying 
will come to know Christ. And I'm praying that God will use me to share the gospel with them. So would you do that? Would you write down names of people that God's put in your life and begin praying for them and begin asking, how can I share the gospel with them? How can I be intentional about sharing the gospel with these individual people? How can I plan to share Christ with them? If just put yourself for a minute in the shoes of a of a non-Christian. If you knew that Christianity was true, that Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the grave, and yet you had not become a follower of Christ, if you knew that eternity was dependent on whether or not you hear the gospel and believe the gospel, then wouldn't you want somebody being intentional about praying and planning to share the gospel with you, to make it known? And so this is where I want to encourage you. This is something, I think, if we know that Spirit of Christ is in us for the spread of the gospel through us, then we must be intentional about asking who are the people around us that God's put in our sphere of influence and how can we share the gospel with them? I can't think of many more valuable questions to ask than that. And to pray, would you just pray maybe that God would use you? Just start with praying that God might use you to lead one of those people to Christ in 2015. Just pray that because that's a prayer that You and I know God wants to answer. He desires the salvation of people who are apart from Him. So let's pray. God, use me to lead one one of these people to Christ in 2015. So ask the question, how am I going to share God's love as a witness in the world? And then fourth, broad category, how will I show God's love as a member of the church? So, yes, we focused on the lost and we focused on those who are in Christ, specifically the brothers and sisters who are part of the local church that we have committed our lives to. And so we we ask, okay, where, first of all, am I a member of a church? And if you're not a member of a church, I want to strongly encourage you to commit your life to a local church to a body of believers to whom you are accountable and who are accountable for the care of your soul, where you are walking hand in hand, arm in arm with other brothers and sisters in the mission God has given us in the world. Refuse to be a church attender, hopper, shopper, to to be a, a church member where you are committed in your life to a local body of believers and you're saying, how can I best serve this body of brothers and sisters? God has given me gifts in a 1 Corinthians 12 kind of way that are intended for the building up of this body. So how am I going to show God's love as a member of the church? I'm going to serve in this way or that way in the church and in so doing, show a picture of Christ to the world. And so this is where I, in my life especially, uh, having stepped out of the pastorate, have no desire to step out of the local church. I want my life to be committed to a local church. I need a local church that's spurring me on toward Christ and a local church in which I'm using my gifts to build up that body. We've got to see the centrality of the local church. So, so I'm asking myself the question at the beginning of this year, how am I going to show God's love as a member of the church in the coming year. And then two more kind of big picture categories. One, I ask, how will I spread God's glory among all peoples? So 
We have been commanded to make disciples of all nations. This is not just a command for extraordinary missionaries. This is a command for ordinary disciples. So how is each of our lives going to play a part in the spread of God's glory to the ends of the earth? How is my life going to be a part of spreading God's glory among all peoples? Which means, I, I want to ask, how can I pray for the nations? I know that I have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing around the world every day from my knees. So this morning in my time with the Lord was... Uh, 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 on the Operation World website and the Pray Today section of that, I was praying for Turkey and for this country with 70 million people and they estimate 3,000 or so followers of Christ. And so just pleading, God, make glory known in Turkey. God, strengthen those, that small group of believers who's there. Give them boldness amidst persecution they're experiencing for their faith. Give them boldness to proclaim the gospel and raise up more workers to go to, to Turkey. And as I'm praying for Turkey, I've got an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing for His glory in Turkey. And I want to take advantage of that opportunity on a daily basis. So I want to be intentional. How can I pray for the nations? How can I give to the nations? This is obviously something we've talked about. God has given us so much resources in this part of the world. How how can I be intentional then about sacrificing here or there so that the gospel spreads to people who've never heard it? I want to be intentional about giving to the nations. How will I go to the nations? And just, again, continually putting the blank check on the table. Lord, do you want me to go short-term or mid-term or long-term? How might you use my life, my family, to to be a part of the spread of the gospel among the nations. Just think if we're all asking these questions on a continual basis. We're saying, okay, the next year, God, how can I pray for the nations? How can I give the nations? How are you leading me to go to the nations? And just to see how God responds. To be intentional with this mist he's given us. To make the most of it for the spread of his glory among all peoples. And so to ask, okay, how God, how will I spread your glory among all peoples? How can I best do that with my life, with where you've put me? How can I pray and give and go? And then, so then to bring it back down, this is the last uh, kind of overall category that I think through. So how will I fill my mind with truth? How will I fuel affection for God? How will I share God's love as a witness in the world? How will I show God's love as a member of a church? How will I spread God's glory among all peoples. And then the final question I ask is then, how will I make disciple makers among a few people? Because when I look at Jesus's life, obviously more than anyone else who ever lived, he was most passionate about the Father's glory in all nations. But then I look at what he did with his life and he poured his life into a few people. And so I'm asking, how can I do the same this year? How can I make disciples who are making disciples? So who who are the one, two, three, or four people that God's put in my life, my sphere of influence, that I can lead to make disciples this year? That I can invite to spend intentional time with me this year for the express purpose of growing in Christ together? How can I teach them to obey Christ? This is what disciple making is about, right? Teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. So how, how can I do that? How can I walk with them through the word? How can I model before them obedience to the word? Disciple making isn't just about leading a Bible study with a couple of other people. 
It's about sharing our lives with other people, showing others what the life of Christ looks like in action. So I want to invite, I want to be intentional about inviting people into my life to see how following Christ affects the way I work and live and play and relate to my my wife and my kids and the way I share the gospel, the way I study the Bible, the way I pray. So I want to I want to model obedience to Christ. I want to teach them to obey all toward the end that not just I have a, a, a Bible study group at the end of the year, but that, that I'm, I'm giving my life to making disciple makers, that I'm sending them out to do the same thing in other people's life, that I'm multiplying the gospel in such a way that I'm, I'm helping equip and empower and embolden others around me to make disciples in their life. Again, we're, we're going to talk more about all these things in coming podcast episodes. Specifically, I want, I want to walk through just, okay, what does it mean to make disciples? What does that look like on a day-by-day basis in our lives? We're going to dive into that, but for the time being, hopefully suffice just to, to say, our, our life is a mist. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. It's a vapor. It's here one instant, it's gone the next. Life is fleeting. And and people are perishing all around us. I think about Second Corinthians 4, Verse 3, where Paul talks about how those who are without Christ are, are perishing. They're perishing apart from Christ. People in our sphere of influence are perishing apart. People we will interact with all throughout 2015 are perishing. Neighbors, colleagues, countless multitudes in the nations. So... If that's true, if my life is fleeting and people are perishing and eternity's coming, we stand on the porch of eternity. We just got a little bit of time here. So I'm reminded of one more resolution from Jonathan Edwards. He said, resolved never then to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolve to live with all my might while I do live. And so this is where brother or sister in Christ, I want to encourage you to live like this. To live with all your might while you do live. To not lose one moment of time. To be intentional in this next year about growing as a disciple of Jesus and giving your life to making disciples of Jesus. Knowing that your life is fleeting. That people are perishing. That eternity is coming. And we've been given a mist. And in this short mystery of God, a mission to make the gospel of God and the glory of God known in this world. Let's make the most of the time that we have. We're glad you joined us today on Radical Together. For additional free resources, including those available in other languages, visit Radical.net slash resources. And for more information on the International Mission Board, visit imb.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.